This is the Retail Politics Podcast. Here we strive to give you the best political information about your nation. One download at a time. Here's your host, former congressional correspondent and award-winning reporter, Jerry Shields. Thank you, Dave, and thank you, listeners, for spending another 30 minutes of your precious time with us as we discuss the politics of our nation. And today we have a guest from Howard University historian, Dr. Edna Green Medford. How are you, doctor? I'm great. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. So today we want to talk about the C-SPAN presidential list, which lists presidents from best to worst uh, through the opinion of historians and uh, political analysts. Um, This list comes out every time the presidency changes. So Donald Trump was not elected, reelected in November. So this is the first time he's appeared on the list. But what what surprised you from the list, if anything? You know, not really uh, surprises at all. The, the list remains pretty stable from 2017. But if you look at it over time, uh, the changes are quite evident from the first C-SPAN survey that we did in 2020. So you see some rather dramatic changes over that period of time. Otherwise, in in terms of the last few years, it's been pretty stable, which makes sense. And Donald Trump had made his first appearance on the presidency list, and he came fourth from the bottom. And a, a lot of his detractors thought he was going to be a, a, at the end, but he got some points for uh, political persuasion, which he was very effective at. And uh, tell the listeners a little bit what other categories or what other measurements went into this. Sure. Uh, political, uh, public persuasion was uh, first on our list, but not ranked according to um which ones were more important. However, they, they were all uh, equally uh, rated by us in terms of, we, we didn't determine which ones were more important than others. So it was public persuasion, crisis leadership, economic management, moral authority, international relations, administrative skills, relations with Congress, vision or setting an agenda for the nation, Uh, pursued equal justice for all, and performance within the context of the times. So Lincoln and Washington were the top two. They always end up the top two. Lincoln was ahead of Washington a little bit. and um, But one of the things I noticed was a lot of wartime presidents were high up. I saw FDR in the top four. Um, Why is that, do you think? Well, I'm not so sure that it has anything to do with their military skills or their military service as much as it has to do with crisis management or crisis leadership. So in war times, of course, that's one of the biggest crises you can have, of course. And so presidents generally are going to do much better uh, in wartime. Uh, well, depending upon what kind of war it is. If we're looking at Vietnam, that's a whole different ball game. But I, I think it had to do with how, in terms of Washington, it had to do with how Washington was able to secure you know, the tenuous union of, of very independent states who had just thrown off the authority uh, of the motherland. And Lincoln's challenge, of course, was disunion. And so he was able to successfully challenge this union, which made for uh, a stronger country. So in a sense, without either man, there would be no America. So 
military service does matter, but in this instance, I don't think it does. I mean, um, certainly George Washington had extensive military experience. He was a military hero coming into uh, the presidency. Lincoln had very limited military experience, but he learned how to be a wartime president. So he was extremely effective. Now, military experience does matter in some instances with Eisenhower, for instance. Uh, this man comes in as a military hero. Doesn't matter as much, though, for someone like Jimmy Carter, who certainly served his country well, but did not get brownie points for that. You know, we know we're supposed to be looking at the um, how these people uh, respond to crisis while they're in the presidency. But when we're looking at them, we are looking at more than just what's happening in the four years or eight years that they're leading the country. We're also looking at what they did before they got into the presidency and certainly what they do when they leave. One of the things that's also interesting, James Buchanan consistently comes in last. What was uh, what was uh, the Buchanan presidency like? Buchanan is uh, certainly the, the loser among the ranks of the presidents. And it's because Buchanan was president at a time when there was a real crisis brewing in the country. Uh, it, the country's on the verge of going over the cliff. <laughs> and you don't, you know, the, that national car is just careening over the cliff. And Buchanan sort of just sits there and allows it to happen. This is the period of the Dred Scott decision and the, you know, this, this movement toward disunion. And he's kind of sitting there allowing it to occur. It, uh, to occur. You know, it, it's the responsibility, at least in part, of the president to ensure domestic peace and tranquility. And he's not doing that. He's just sort of waiting for the next guy to get into office to solve the problem. And so in a sense, he's very much like Andrew Johnson. Uh, Buchanan cannot uh, stop the war from coming. And Johnson, Andrew Johnson, cannot heal the nation once the war is over. These are presidents who were inadequate for the task that they were required to do. And one of the things kind of looking at the presidents that I witnessed in, in my time, and I guess in your time too, I saw that Jimmy Carter finished under Bill Clinton. And I'm sorry, but Jimmy Carter filled, finished under Ronald Reagan. H.W. Bush finished under Bill Clinton. And, and those were the two uh, candidates and the presidents that defeated them. Is that a signal that the American people made the right choice on those? You know, I we, we would like to think or we feel better about ourselves if we believe the right person is always chosen to be president. But we know that that's not true. So people vote for for all sorts of reasons, you know, other than competence. They vote for personality, for celebrity status, for good looks. Uh, that's why it's so important, I think to be an informed citizen. You know, it is our responsibility as citizens to understand who these people are that we are selecting for the most important leadership in the country. And so we need to know the facts. We need to know about their competence. We need to put personality aside. And too often, we don't do that. You know, we, we go for the stars or who we see as the stars. We like political leaders who have a little bit of flair. And I, I think sometimes, most times, the country needs 
a very stable individual who maybe uh, might be a bit boring, but at least understands what the country needs, what the entire country needs, and is moving toward making certain that that's a reality. And I'm always surprised that uh, John Kennedy um, is, ranks as high as he is because he only had that three years in office. And of, of course, he was a, a wildly popular president, but he had his issues. I mean, we got into Vietnam. We had the Bay of Pigs failure. Um, why do you think he ranks so much? Is it the popularity? It's definitely the popularity. You know, we have to remember that Kennedy represented, you know, he symbolized hope and strength and youth. And so at a time when America sort of needed that, you know, he, he pronounced America's greatness without being haughty about it or xenophobic, uh, at least in, to the extent that some presidents had before uh, and after him. Uh, he appeared to be inclusive, although we know now that a lot of the, the civil rights legislation or, or the whole movement to uh, facilitate that that movement uh, was led by, uh, I mean, not just people, uh, African-Americans and other people who were supporting uh, that cause, but it, politically also in terms of people like uh, Bobby Kennedy. But it's it's uh, Lyndon Johnson as well, who should be getting a great deal of the credit for the passage of that legislation. And I don't think that he always gets that credit. But, you know, it's, it's Kennedy who's talking about... Um, you know, going to the moon and America can do whatever it it uh, puts its mind to. And, and it's not just, you know, when he says, you know, ask what, uh, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. It's also about what the country can do for the world. And so America was seen as a place where uh, there was a feeling of um, obligation at, for for the rest of the world. To, to be the leader for the world. And so I think that's one of the reasons why he's still popular today. But of course, assassination has something to do with it as well. You know, we, we wonder about what this man would have been able to do had he survived. So that's always uh, an exciting uh, thing to do. Had he survived and had had more opportunity to make mistakes, of course, we might not rank him as highly as we do today. One of the people that have risen the most was uh, President Ulysses S. Grant. He started at number 33, rose to number 20. Some say it was due to several biographies written about him in recent years. Do you think that's what caused the rise? Well, certainly a good book, uh, especially one that humanizes the individual, goes a long way, I think, to, to help in, in this uh, ranking because people, it's more attention that's given uh, to the individual, uh, the the public gets to know these folk better. Now, we know that the surveys being done by uh, people who follow the presidency, political scientists and historians, but they are influenced as well by the books that other historians and political scientists are writing. It's not just the work that they do on these leaders, but what other people are uncovering as well. So a book like Ron Chernow's, for instance, uh, really does help Grant move forward. Also, the idea that Mississippi State University, you know, has constructed this extraordinary wing to its library to house the Grant papers and so forth. It's the, it's the South, the former Confederacy, embracing Grant. That makes a big difference. But I think that 
his rise in the ranks also has to do with how we as historians and political scientists are viewing him through our particular lens today. This is the moment in American history where it's, it's a second civil rights movement. And so we now look back at Grant, someone who was very much involved in the civil rights movement of the Reconstruction era. And we tend to look at him a little bit differently. We know that it is during his administration that the Ku Klux Klan was, was actually challenged uh, with laws, uh, with these enforcement laws. Uh, it, it is Grant who's, whose administration, he's, he's, um, he's actually in office at the time of the passage of the Civil Rights Act of 1875. The president who fell the most in the rankings in the survey is Andrew Jackson, and he went from 13 to 22. I know I remember when Donald Trump was first elected, a lot of people were comparing him to Andrew Jackson as they looked back at what kind of a president he will be. Why do you think Jackson has fallen so much? For the same reason, I think. We are now more um, aware or more in tune with the injustices uh, that historically in the country. And so Andrew Jackson is seen as an Indian fighter, as someone who was in large measure responsible for the decision to move the, uh, the, the so-called five civilized tribes from the East to the West, causing a great deal of death and destruction as a consequence. We know that he was not looking out for the best interest of all people in the country, even if, if we think of the native groups as sovereign nations, and they certainly did at that time. Even so, they were treated very unfairly. This man was a slaveholder, uh, a holder of many, many enslaved people. Uh, he's just not seen uh, as someone who's pursuing equal justice for all. He's not seen as someone with moral authority. Um, he, at least he's ranking a lot lower than some of the presidents are. So it's our times that actually are kind of, uh, or how we view him in our times. And I know we're not supposed to do that, but historians and political scientists are human beings. And we bring certain things to the table when we are uh, evaluating these, these presidencies. You cannot keep it out. You can be as objective as you can be, but at some point, you know, your own uh, moral ideas come to bear. And the worst period in terms of the presidency, which was kind of interesting, too, was the period from 1837 to 1869. And that's, of course, not including Lincoln. And he, he ended up number one. But do you think slavery was the reason for that? Slavery had everything to do with what was happening uh, between 1837 and 1869. It's a, it's a crisis period in American history where the decision has to be made about whether or not there's going to be an expansion of slavery. Now, most people are not talking about the existence of slavery. Most of them didn't even care as long as enslaved people people's labor didn't impinge on their labor and, and their opportunities. But there was a concern about the expansion of slavery. So what's happening during this period is a division in the nation about that, that this is what sectionalism is all about. And so you've got presidents that are in place who really aren't resolving that issue. Uh, some of them are Southerners and even some of them that are Northerners like uh, Buchanan, known as a, a doe face, is this people who are Northern and are supporting 
the Southern cause, or cause or, the, or the Southern emphasis on slavery. And so that's what leads to the Civil War. It is Lincoln who, who makes certain that slavery is no longer an issue in the nation by um, uh, through the, uh, the uh, Emancipation Proclamation, at least that opens the door. And then, of course, uh, as a consequence of the war and as a consequence of the 13th Amendment, slavery ends in the country. But it's these presidents who really don't have the wherewithal to do what is needed at that point until Lincoln comes in. And, and actually until the South secedes, these, these uh, 11 Southern states secede from the Union. And the best period in the survey was 1933 through 1969. Why do you think that was the case? Well, it certainly is a crisis time um, in terms of the economy, uh, in terms of the Second World War, in terms of the Cold War. But you have presidents who are sort of um, ready to rise to the occasion. These are people who have the skills that make it possible for the nation to move forward. So you've got FDR with his New Deal. Uh, you've got Truman with his Fair Deal. You've got Eisenhower's modern republicanism, you know, which is a balance between individual rights and, uh, and the market economy and government assistance for those people you know, who cannot uh, help themselves. And you've got Kennedy's New Frontier and Johnson's Great Society. In a lot of ways, this is a very optimistic time and a time of growth for the nation even though there are serious problems that are occurring during this period. And the, the, my personal interest, and I'm kind of curious about this, uh, Teddy Roosevelt, Theodore Roosevelt, uh, ranked in the top four, top five. Um, why do you think that is? Well, you know, he's seen as a very strong leader, uh, rather flamboyant in lots of ways. You know, he's the trust-busting president. He's a defender of workers' rights. Uh, you know, he's he's this strong guy whose whose idea is, you know, you speak softly but carry a big stick, you know. So it, he, he is is ushering in a time in which the presidency gets much more involved in foreign affairs. So he's seen as someone with strong leadership skills and he doesn't neglect what's happening domestically either because he's very much involved in national conservation. So he's sort of everything in one package. If we're looking, though, at race, he, he waffles a little bit on that. There are some serious racial issues that occur during uh, the period of his presidency. But all in all, he's seen as a very strong leader who's, doing, uh, who's moving for the most part in the direction uh, that the country should be moving. And we're talking, um, you know, I think more and more conversation is, is, is coming up about Jimmy Carter. There's a new book out, actually, I think this week called The Outlier. Mm -hmm. And uh, he is now 96, um, still fairly vibrant. Um, and there's another interesting fact. Him and his wife, Rosalind, are the longest married yes. uh, couple <laughs> in the history of the presidency. Talk about Jimmy Carter. Um, he kind of was a, a nice guy, um, didn't really self-promote a lot. Did that kind of hurt him? I think it did. I mean, he, he he's a man who comes to the presidency with a great deal of integrity. So he scores high in moral authority. But, you know, the idea that good guys finish last, <laughs> maybe there's some truth to that. Maybe the presidency needs someone who's a real, um, what's the word that I can use in public? Uh, some Someone who really does not mind 
pushing hard and, uh, you know, sort of knowing where the bodies are buried and are willing to uncover them for the good of the country. And that, that's not necessarily a good thing, but that seems to be what some presidents are able to do and get away with it. Jimmy Carter was not that kind of leader. He was a very um, soft-spoken man who I think really did attempt to do what was in the best interest of the country. But since his uh, departure from the presidency, he has grown in stature because of what he did. You know, Habitat for Humanity, all of the things that he has been involved in shows that he's someone that needs to be recognized as a great leader. He may not have been successful as president, but he certainly is successful as a leader in the country, an elder statesman now. And history seems to be kinder to presidents as, as we move on. I remember George W. Bush being such a controversy during his eight years, and now he kind of goes around and is a little bit more of a statesman. Is that the case that history, history mostly, um, and I, I'm sure it'll be in Jimmy Carter's case too, history is more kind to presidents? Do you think so to past presidents? Well, it depends upon the president, because certainly Jackson is not looking too good these days. Uh, but uh, so it, it isn't necessarily true that the longer we are away from the presidency, the better it gets. It can go the other way as well. It, and it can go the other way very quickly and in a really bad way. And so I think, though, presidents can strengthen their positions after the presidency by what they are doing for the nation. I mean, Jimmy Carter is a classic example of that. And George Bush as well. I, I think that we are seeing a side of George Bush that we hadn't seen before, and we like what we see. And I think that sort of creeps in to our um, how we view the presidency. Well, Doctor, we want to thank you so much for joining us. Um, and for the listeners out there, please check out the Doctor's Good Book, Lincoln and Emancip Emancipation, Lincoln and Emancipation. And uh, we'd love to have you back on again. You're very enlightening. We appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much. Let's bring our, in our technical producer, Brad, maybe the Wizard of Pods. So, Brad, uh, you know, on this list, um, kind of some interesting uh, factoids and someone rising and someone falling. And uh, I'm listening to a good book I think I mentioned before, Zero Fail, which is about the Secret Service, which is not so secret anymore. Ooh. But um, one of the things that's great about the book, it gives you a lot of insight into the presidents. And, you know, one of the things that kind of colors my vision of a president is just so many of these well kennedy clinton fdr all womanizers just you know and so i, I their moral failings make me think of them as you know not good executives oh really you think that yeah it just clouds my it clouds my view of them i mean i obviously who someone sleeps with i believe doesn't affect you know who they are as a uh, you know, as a leader, I, I never really equated the two. I never. Nah, it's not as much. I mean, it's the cheating. It's the it's the it's the disrespect to the first ladies and and that kind of thing. But you know, just looking back and um, you know, our time growing up, you know, Ronald Reagan was my favorite, not for his policies, and again, maybe because of it, he just was a a very colorful guy. He was witty. He was funny. Um, just uh, some amazing. Uh, I think I think of the debate with Walter Mondale. Walter Mondale was you know basically saying this guy's too old and. And Reagan, you know, kind of jumped 
jumps in and says, uh, well, I'm not going to take your lack of experience and, you know, I'm not going to raise your lack of experience, which is hilarious. I think it won on the president. Yeah, no, I, well, Reagan is, 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 is up there for me too. I mean, like that. Reagan, uh, was inaugurated when I was what, nine and, and and left office when I was 17. So, I mean, I literally grew up in Reagan's America. I, the, the 80s and, and Reagan are, are synonymous. And he was everywhere. He was he was the, the biggest man alive throughout the 80s, yeah. for sure. He, I got to cover him one time in uh, Esper, New Jersey, and he was talking to high school students at graduation. And he, he just loosened the crowd up so good. He said, you know, the first thing I did when I became president is I sealed my high school grades, you know, and that just, <laughs> that just had everybody, you know, that just had them all. And then we were talking a little bit about Jimmy Carter, and I, I always kind of felt bad for him. I, I thought he was, um, you know, an exceptional person um but um boy what a messed up presidency you know i was talking about this outlier book and it said you know when he came in uh inflation was at 4.9 percent, i think it was and he left and it was 12.4 and yeah. you know the whole the whole and he came in at a tough time he came in after the watergate and and the whole thing but um man it, it uh it, tough tough one on him well, it's funny that you mentioned Reagan and then and then Carter and what Reagan the first thing Reagan did. I'm pretty sure the first thing Reagan did when he was in the White House was he ripped down Jimmy Carter's solar panels. That's right. That's right. He did do that. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and and I mean, like, what what a, is that an analogy of uh, the difference between what those two for sure? And you know, I remember being a little kid. I remember gas lines and the economy sucking and uh, being worried at a very young age about money and um, the whole hostage crisis. And then it just seemed like here comes the eighties and Ronnie Reagan. And it was a new day in America. It was yeah, bizarre, was. right? It was. Yeah, and, was. and Carter really got blamed for, for everything that was happening in the late seventies. And, and, and Reagan got all the credit for all the great stuff that happened in the eighties. Yeah. And, and this book is kind of interesting because it says Carter really did some, some very good things, um, you know, environmentally. Um, he actually was very conservative with the federal budget. Um, he, he was kind of what they used to call a blue dog Democrat. And, um, but uh, definitely uh, tough times there. I, and I think he wasn't a self-promoter. I think, yeah. you know, a lot of the presidents, Clinton, Reagan, they just had that promotion machine. Everything they did, they put out. And I don't think Jimmy Carter was that way. I think Jimmy Carter was just in there, get the job done, and and that kind of thing. So um, very fascinating. So when you become president, we're going to see you on this list. Well, let me let – me, uh, my favorite president – and and outside of Reagan, because you know I grew up with Reagan, but growing up in Buffalo, New York, our twenty fifth president William McKinley was shot and killed in Buffalo, New York, way back in nineteen oh one by wow. a Polish gentleman, much like myself, uh, named Leon. And I'm gonna I'm a Polak, and I'm gonna murder his last name. It's like it's like C Z, so it's like a T S sound. It's like so goes, I believe mm -hmm. is, is, you say his name. So he shot McKinley in Buffalo, 1901. And growing up in Buffalo, everything in Buffalo is named McKinley. There's <laughs> McKinley Park. There's McKinley Boulevard. There's McKinley High School. There's the McKinley Mall. <laughs> so you pretty much, if you grew up in Buffalo, you either lived on a street or went to a high school. <laughs> 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 
And it, it is kind of interesting. I remember when uh, Bird, Senator Bird, was running, and some guy was challenging him. And Bird was, you know, he was gigantic. And so the guy was going to a debate with Bird, and he said, "I knew it was over when I drove down Bird Highway, made a left on Bird Street, <laughs> uh, past Bird High School." <laughs> he said, "I knew it was over." <laughs> but that McKinley shooting is very interesting. How long was he president? Do you remember, Brad? Uh, he, he got in at the beginning. It was in 1897. And then he got uh, you know iced in 1901. So that, that's pretty much the same kind of a term that Kennedy had. But, you know, I think that McKinley shooting really stepped up. Um, the call for the Secret Service. Um, the Secret Service, um, a lot of presidents did, or the people didn't want them because they didn't want us to look like royalty or kings. Um, but yeah. as these things happened, it just got, you know, kind of to be that need. And um, even, you know, Kennedy and Reagan, they hated them. They hated the Secret Service because they want to be out with the people. They want to be shaking hands. and They want to look like the common man. And you can't do that with guys with dark suits and sunglasses. No, 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 no. Always great to have you on, buddy, and chat with you about things. And, um, you know, we're, we're going to try to have that Secret Service author on. I thought that was a fascinating book, but we'll get to it. We should get a, a Secret Service agent on, a retired guy oh, or something. There you uh, go. But then he wouldn't be secret. Anymore, so. <laughs> All right. All right. We would like to thank our executive producer, Mike Gugat, and of course, our technical producer, Brad Maybe, the Wizard of Pods, our announcer, Dave, and contributing voice talent, John One Take Terzis, the voiceover Tampa Bay. We will be back next week with another thrilling edition of the Retail Politics Podcast. Until then, always remember to read beyond the headlines. Have a great week. With the front row, award-winning reporter Gerard Shields takes you into the vanishing world of print news to a time when stories were reported, not invented or twisted. Imagine you have press credentials in the front row with Shields throughout his decades-long newspaper career covering political corruption, scandal, and heroics during the critical events of our time. With dozens of Amazon five-star reviews, Shields' latest work, The Front Row is a passionate study of American journalism while delivering his own invaluable life lessons. The Front Row by Gerard Shields. Available now at Amazon.com.